0: Welcome to Mark Conner's podcast. For more information, visit markconner.com.au. We're going to share a few thoughts tonight around the theme of how to connect with God, how to connect with God. We're going to read a few verses from John 15, verses 1 to 3, Uh, reading from the NIV. In fact, why don't we read this together in unison today? We used to do this a bit in church when I was a kid, when we all had one Bible translation. Remember that? So last century now, isn't it? Uh, Now we have so many different translations, but we've got the NIV up here. And so John 15, 1 to 3, how about we read this in full voice together? Here we go. 1, 2, 3, Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes So that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. A bit of background. These are some of Jesus' Final words uh, before he heads to the cross and suffers and dies and then rises from the dead, which we'll be celebrating with other followers of Christ all around the world next weekend. So there's some of his final words, and uh, final words are really, really important. He's talked to his disciples about the fact that he's leaving, but he'll one day be back. And so now he's focusing on them who will be remaining after he goes, keeping connected to him as they live their daily lives in the world. It's possible Jesus is walking through a vineyard right at this moment with his disciples when he gave this teaching. How many know Jesus often drew analogies from the culture around about him and from the ancient Jewish traditions? infusing them with fresh spiritual meaning. So often he'd say, hey, there was a farmer who had a sheep or uh, he's talking about some fish. Uh, They could have literally just been walking by a vineyard as he draws an analogy from a vine and a vineyard, which were actually old sacred images, sacred images in Judaism. In fact, in the Old Testament, the vine represented Israel who were meant to bear much fruit, And Jesus now says, I am the vine. In fact, this is the seventh I am statement in the book of John. And so he says, I am the vine and my father is the gardener and you as my followers are the branches. And then he puts out a challenge. There's a challenge here for all of us that God's will for us is that we would live an abundantly fruitful life. You want to know why you're here on the planet uh, we're here to be fruitful. And, and fruit represents good works, things that we do that make a difference in the world. And so, in a sense, there's inner fruit, uh, fruit that happens on the inside of us. And later on, Paul picks this up and says, the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, qualities like love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness. Faithfulness, gentleness, and the big one, self-control. And so fruit is stuff that happens on the inside of us, those character qualities that God is wanting you and I to develop that end up being a blessing to those around about us. And then there's outer fruit, which is the impact that we have on the world around about us through using our gifts, through sharing our faith, through making the world A better place. And so fruit bearing is God's will for your life. And it's the natural overflow of connecting, of remaining, of abiding with Jesus. Interesting, Jesus describes four levels of fruitfulness in this story. Uh, He says some branches have no fruit, not a grape, not even just, just nothing, just barren. There's no fruit on some branches. Then he says other branches have some fruit. Uh, he says, my, my, my will for you is you would have more fruit. And later on, he talks about us having much fruit. Who knows? Maybe as they're walking through the vineyard, there were four barrels there. One was empty. One had a little bit of grapes. The other had more grapes. And the other one may have been overflowing with grapes. And, and maybe Jesus was using that as a bit of a challenge to our lives to actually ask ourselves, how's my level of fruitfulness right now? Is there no fruit? Is there some fruit? Is there more fruit? Or is there much fruit overflowing in our lives? Here's a good question. If I'm a follower of Jesus, if I was convicted for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict me? If I was arrested for being a Christian and they kind of did a little investigation on my life, would there be enough evidence to indicate that I'm really following Jesus. Again, fruit is not something we do to work for God's love. We already are God's love, but it should be the overflow of us living in daily connection with Jesus. And so there's a challenge here for all of us who are following Jesus that we would have much fruit in our lives. That's God's will for each one of us. There's another interesting little sideline application here. Uh, Jesus talks a bit about pruning. I'm, I'm not a gardener myself, but I do understand that vines and bushes in the garden, if they get overgrown... They actually become unproductive. And so a good gardener will come in and prune some of the excess leaves and branches so that the tree focuses its energy on producing quality fruit rather than lots of second-rate fruit. And so a good gardener knows the value of pruning. Uh, Through pruning, growth that is dead or dying is removed so that the sunlight can get in to all the fruit-bearing branches so the size and quality of fruit is improved and new fruit is encouraged to develop. And so could God be doing a little pruning in your life right now? I mean, pruning doesn't sound like a lot of fun. sounds a little painful, doesn't it? But sometimes there's a pruning that takes place for the purpose of greater fruitfulness in our lives. Sometimes God's actually doing that. Sometimes there's a challenge for you and I to do a little pruning so that we can focus and be even more fruitful in our life. It's interesting in society today, there's a whole emphasis on less can sometimes be more. There's a whole movement called minimalism. Uh, Anyone heard of minimalism? Just put that in the Dr. Google search and you'll find a whole movement that says, do we need more stuff? (laughs) You know, most of us have double garages and we can't fit our cars in there because we've got so much stuff. And maybe the key to happiness is not having more, but actually trimming back. There's a whole movement. In fact, Ecclesiastes 4 verse 6, written 3,000 years ago, says, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with chasing the wind. See, minimalism isn't that new. Better one handful with peace and joy than twice as much with all the stress that comes with it. Sometimes more is actually not And so, is there some pruning that needs to happen in your life? Simplicity is another word that's really, really buzzing in our society. Um, There's actually a best selling book, been out for a couple of years, called The Magic of Tidying Up. Some of you are stressing out immediately. It's a Japanese lady named Marie Kondo. Anyone heard of Marie Kondo? She's on Netflix. She's everywhere. She's the sweetest little Japanese lady. And you know what she does for a job? She helps people clean up their house. You can feel the anointing just coming into the meeting right now, can't you? This is what I needed to hear tonight. But she, you, know what she does, you know what she does? She doesn't come in and do the cleaning up. She gets people to pull all their stuff out on the floor. And it's amazing when you put it all out on the floor how much you see that you've got. And then she has you hold each item and ask a simple question. Does this spark joy? (laughs) It's a really good question. There's a lot of stuff that you have that doesn't bring joy to you. It could bring joy to somebody else. And so people end up giving a bunch of stuff away, end up with a lot less, a lot more space than clutter, and suddenly there's a new joy in their lives. Now, I'm speaking to someone here tonight, I don't know who... (laughs) But, but maybe the key to your fruitful year is actually just trimming back a bit, just doing a little less, just focusing. Um, again, I've only heard this story. Uh, I've never tamed the lion myself, but I hear that lion tamers, one of the ways they tame the ferocity the and ferociousness of a lion is with a chair with three legs. A chair with three legs, and they hold that chair in front of the lion, and the lion becomes almost paralyzed because it can't focus on more than one thing. And by looking at the three legs, the strength of the lion is harnessed. You know, sometimes in our life, we're focusing on so many things that we're actually busy. We're doing a lot of things, but we're not effective. Jesus is saying, you're going to be fruitful, sometimes it's time to prune stuff back so that quality fruit can come rather than a bunch of average fruit in our lives. Are you kind of doing 10 things at an average level? Is it maybe time just to say for this season, it's, it's, it's less but a greater quality of fruit in your life? Just a thought for someone here tonight. So there's a challenge to fruitfulness. There's some application about pruning and trimming back sometimes. We're trying to do too much rather than doing a few things really well. And then I want to spend the rest of our time sharing an insight. Because Jesus says the key to fruitfulness is you remaining. And one translation says, abide It means to keep connected. Jesus is saying, if you can remain, abide, if you can keep connected to me, then that's the key to you living a fruitful life. Apart from him, we can do nothing of lasting value, but connected to Jesus, we can bear much fruit in our lives. And so discipleship, following Jesus, is not just acknowledging a bunch of uh, statements of faith. Discipleship, following Jesus, is about living life spiritually connected to Jesus so that His life flows into my life and through my life so that I can have much fruit in the way I live my life. This phrase, remain in me, abide in me, uh, it's a verb. The, 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 The verb is an active word and it's actually in the active imperative tense, which means it's a command. Jesus is literally saying, I command you, make every effort. To keep connected to me. This isn't a suggestion. It isn't, hey, if you've got a little time, there's an urgency here. There's a a sense of importance here. Please, I'm about to leave. I'm about to go. Keep connected to me. Because if you keep connected to me, then there's going to be great fruit in your life. So fruitfulness is God's will for your life. It's his intention, but it's not automatic. Doesn't just happen by hanging around at church for another week or another year. It's the response of our involvement, our engagement with Jesus. And so, so, how do we do that practically? How do you remain in Jesus? How do you abide? How do you connect? Now, a little later, Jesus is going to say, If you love me, keep my commandments. And so, loving Jesus, obeying his commands, there's some practical things we can do to connect and remain in Jesus. But I want to make a suggestion to you tonight that the way we connect to Jesus is unique to each one of us. And I shared this thought with the Bayside leaders, I think about five years ago. And so if you were at that meeting and you remember, uh, then this will be a bit of review for the Bayside leaders. But I really felt as I was praying for this weekend to share this with the whole church because it's such a powerful principle. It's actually quite freeing, quite empowering, quite liberating. And so we want to talk practically In the rest of our time about how do we abide how do we connect to Jesus now I've grown up in church I'm a preacher's kid when I was a kid we went to church Sunday morning Sunday afternoon and evening three times every Sunday And you know why I'm so holy. Uh, So I kind of grew up and in around church. I heard a lot of sermons, a lot of messages. And over the years, I've heard people say different things about how you can be close to God. I've heard some people say, if you really want to be close to God, you've got to get up early in the morning. And they preach from the Psalms where David says, early in the morning, I will rise up and seek you. You've got to be an early riser if you're going to be close to God. Other people say, you know, if God wanted me to see the sunrise, he would have scheduled a little later in the day. (laughs) And I've heard other sermons saying, no, no, it's late at night. It's in the night hours. And their favorite scripture is, at midnight, I will rise and give praise to God. And so other people say, no, it's in the night hours. It's staying up night, seeking God. Other people say, you've got to fast. Not fast food, fast food you got to fast and go without and if you'll go without and discipline your will you know fasting is a way to get close to god other people say you got to you got to journal you just get a journal, a, a book and a pen. And, and if you can journal, that that's the key to connecting with God. Uh, someone else uh, taught a message that you've got to memorize the Bible. Got to, not the whole Bible, but you know, parts of it. If you memorize Scripture, get the Word of God in your heart. That's the key to getting close to God. Uh, I still remember hearing a Pentecostal preacher saying, if you want to be close to God, you've got to speak in tongues for at least an hour every day. All the mums with toddlers are freaking out. An hour every day, he, he said. If you're going to be close to God, you've got to speak in tongues at least an hour every day. And, and so as, as I've grown up, I've sitting there listening to all these sermons and this is, the messages. And, and after a while, you realize everyone's got a different idea of what it takes to be close to God. And as wonderful as their ideas are, it's easy for someone to take what works for them and project it on other people. And then we try some of those things and if they don't work, we end up believing the lie that maybe being close to God is only for a few special people. A lot of people believe that. Being close to God, I tried that, I tried that, didn't work for me. And so we end up living at a a subpar level of what our connection to God Could be like. And so, what I want to suggest to you in this message is that just as you are unique in so many areas, you've got a unique personality, you have a one of a kind fingerprint, you have unique looks you have a unique uh, set of spiritual gifts, you have unique love languages, Uh, you have unique stages of faith that you're at tonight, that just as you are an individual, just as you are unique and different than the person left and right, could it be that the way you connect to God is also unique? It may not be the same as someone sitting ...by you, or someone that you do life closely with. Could it be that the way we remain, the the way we connect with God is unique or different for each one of us? We're all wired a little bit differently. That's what I'm going to suggest to you tonight. Now, throughout history... In fact, there's a whole book on this by Richard Foster called Streams of Living Water. So if uh, you find this helpful, he's got a book about that thick where he traces throughout all of church history the different ways or streams that people have connected or found intimacy with God. And so I want to just share a few of the main ones with you tonight. And As I describe them, I want you to be listening and going, is that me? And you'll be going... Either, nah, that's not me, or you'd be going, yeah, 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 that's a little bit like me. And so let me go through some of the the main, what we could call abiding styles or ways of connecting with God. And as we do these, I want you to think back, if you're a follower of Jesus, think back, when are the times when you felt closest to God? When are the moments when you felt most connected, sensed his presence more than at other times? What was happening? What was taking place? We're going to do a little bit of reflection around that. So the first style is something we're going to call the contemplative style. Now, the contemplative style, uh, people who find closeness to God, happens more in solitude, in quietness, in stillness than in crowds, and busy, noisy places. If you're wired this way, then environment's really important to you. you know, ha- having a walk down the beach or in a park or in a garden, there's just a sense of serenity and peace. And God seems a lot closer than walking in a very busy city with honking horns and traffic lights and uh, all the building noise that's around. Uh, for people like this, they, they like to meditate. And reflect and be still. They don't like being busy all the time. For some people that have this style, a journal does become very, very helpful as they write and reflect on life and some of the questions they have. If you're not a contemplative, people like this can seem like their head is in the clouds and like they're marching to the beat of a different drummer than everyone else. They're just a little out of sync with everybody. But you know, some of the, the greatest writers, some of the greatest songwriters and composers have been contemplatives. They're not always engaged with people. They, they, they take extended time alone. So as I'm describing this, some of you are going, yes, yes, let me out. <laughs> Others of you are going, no, no, that's scary. I don't want to go off by myself. I might get lost, you know. Uh, just think about it. Do you have a, a contemplative style in the way you... Connect with God. It's just one particular style. Number two, a second style is what we're going to call the intellectual style. Now, if you have the intellectual style, you'll find you'll feel most connected to God when your mind is being challenged and stimulated. Uh, you love to wrestle mentally, as it were, with the mystery of God and His nature and His plan of redemption, and so there's a there's a mental, intellectual dimension to you growing in your faith. Uh, if this is your style, if some preacher gets up here and all, all the preacher does is tell a few stories and a few jokes, you're kind of going, "Where's the meat?" You know, you're looking for some substance. You know, if it's just kind of froth and bubble, and you know, a bit of fun, you need something to get your head around. Come on, you know who I'm talking to. You want some theology. You want a bit of challenge. You're asking why when someone says something. Prove it to me. Well, have you thought about? Well, what about? Your mind works in that way. The Apostle Paul said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Not the removal of your mind, the renewing of your mind. And so for some of you, it's, it's, it's that that is part of your relationship with God. Think of Martin Luther. He's reading the book of Romans and he comes across that line, the just will live by faith. The just will live by faith. He's living in an environment where it's all about penance and works and earning and measuring and getting through your guilt. And he reads that sentence, the just will live by faith, by trusting in God, not yourself. Those words left, left off the page, hit his mind, hit his spirit. A fire was ignited and a reformation began. Martin Luther wasn't just a feeling, he's rethinking his entire theology and the way we're actually living out our faith and doing church. Uh, If you're in this category, then you probably have heard of C.S. Lewis and Rabbi Zacharias and John Lennox and people like that. If you don't know those names, don't even worry about it. (laughs) Don't even worry about it. And so some of you are wired this way, and it's okay. Some of you, like, that's just a little scary, a little complex, you know. Don't confuse me, you know. I just love Jesus. Once I was blind, now I can see. That that works for you. (laughs) This this kind of stuff just confuses it all. That's okay. I'm just trying to put out some samples of the ways people connect with God. Uh, A third third style we're going to call the serving style. Some of you in the room, it's when you're helping others. It's when you're using your talents, your gifts, your abilities. It's when you're an instrument in God's hands, as it were, that, that you sense God more than at other times. Uh, sometimes it's just doing something you love to do or something you're good at. Uh, it was a, an Olympic runner named Eric Liddell, and everyone had a wonderful plan for his life and he was grappling with running and mission work, and he ended up running, and he said this famous statement. It's in the Chariots of Fire movie, if you've ever seen that. He goes, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. I, I just love that. What's he saying? When I do what I'm good at, what I'm passionate about, I feel God's smile. You know, isn't that a wonderful phrase? If you can find what that is, maybe it's surfing a wave or riding a motorbike. You know, what are you doing when you just kind of feel God's pleasure? You feel his smile. Uh, People with this category tend to be pretty fast paced, task oriented people trying to change the world before Easter, you know? Um, people with this gift kind of live at high speed. They're action-orientated. They're living on the edge, but they find that when they're on the edge, they're praying more. They're seeking God more because they're living at top speed because there's a sense of cause and mission for the work of Christ in the world. You can think of people like John Wesley and George Whitfield and D.L. Moody and William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army. You know, these are people that were passionate about changing society and the world. And as they used their gifts of leadership and motivation and team building, uh, their love for God, their connection with God, was higher than just sitting around having the holiday. Mm -hmm. Mother Teresa, um, well-known, won a lot of awards, spoke to a lot of large crowds. Uh, Near the end of her life, she made this amazing statement. She says, it said, uh, when I'm holding a dying child in my arms on, on the streets of Calcutta, I feel most alive in Christ. What an amazing statement. It wasn't the awards, it wasn't the big crowds, it wasn't the, the travel and the fame. When she was helping a suffering human, she says, that, that, that's when I felt most alive. She was using her gifts. And so for some of you in the room, it's, it's when you serve. It's when you're using your gifts. It's when you're helping someone. You feel that kind of flow, as it were. And there's a sense of God. That's a, a way that you connect to God. Maybe, maybe that's your style. Let's look at, let, look, look at a couple more. Number four is what we're going to call a relational style. If this is your style, then doing things alone are a little bit harder. Pray, praying by yourself, getting up in the morning, good, Lord, good morning, Lord. Instead of good Lord, it's morning. You know, praying by yourself, reading your Bible by yourself, serving alone. It's pretty hard. But if you go to a prayer group, or you go to a Bible study with other people, or you're on a serving team, when you're with other people, kind of things come alive for you. If this is your style, your favorite scripture is when two or three (laughs) get together in my name, there I am. And so some of you have a relational component to your spirituality, and that's okay. It's When you're in community, when you're doing things with other people, there's a closeness to God that's a little bit different than when you're by yourself. Maybe that's how you're wired to connect. Let's look at one more. This isn't a comprehensive list. It's just a representative list. Uh, Number five is the charismatic style. If you have the charismatic style, then for you, there's something about what we could call the manifest presence of God. How many know God is omnipresent? The omnipresence of God means God's everywhere <laughs> at all times. There's no nowhere you can go where God's not there. We believe in the omnipresence of God. But there's something called the manifest presence of God when we become aware of God's presence. And so if this is your style, then if there's some kind of waking up to the fact that God's here, and it could be through praying for someone and they get healed. It could be a prophetic word that someone has or you wake up and you had a vision or a dream in the night uh, or there's some ministry time and you, you might feel a word of encouragement for somebody. Uh, this is when you feel closest to God. Uh, if this is your style, you come to church and there's three fast songs, two slow songs and offering a soon, we go home, not much happened. But if there was a prayer time or someone had a bit of word, God showed up tonight. Come on, you know who you are. You love the spontaneous. You love the unpredictable. You're looking for those interruptions, as it were, of God doing things. This this is Jacob. You know, he's having a sleep in this desert place. He wakes up, he's had a dream. He goes, God was in this place. And I was not aware of it. So maybe you're wired this way. If this is your style, music, worship, atmosphere is is a big part of you feeling. Connected with God. And obviously, there's an entire Pentecostal and charismatic movement over the last hundred years that has lent into this style of connecting with God, praying, ministry together, worshiping. This is another major style of connecting with God. So maybe, maybe that's the way you are wired. So let's kind of pull this together and apply it to your life now, putting it into practice onto our next slide. First, first thing I want you to do is identify your primary abiding style. Again, don't pick the one you'd like to have. Don't pick the one you think you should have. Which one of those resonated the most with you? If you're honest, just looking back over your life, when have you felt closest to God? Just go ahead and identify that. Now, you might have more than one, but we're just looking for that kind of primary one out of interest how many would say yeah when you're talking about the contemplative thing i think that's me come on where's all the contemplatives wow a lot of hands a lot of hands just give these people a little space afterwards (laughs) don't don't speak so loud around them okay Uh, how many when i was talking about the intellectual your mind challenged okay yeah a lot of a lot of hands going up fantastic You know, if you've got a theological question, these are the people to talk to. Like, if you want to know why a good God allows suffering in the world, they know. (laughs) Like, like just go and have a chat to them and they'll let you know. Uh, How many, the serving style, come on, serving style, yeah, yeah, lots of hands up. You want something done? These are the people, you know. Want something done? Give it to a busy person, my dad used to say. Uh, relational style. How many? Come on, it's with community, other people around. Where's all the relational style? Yep, yep. Be sure to give these people a hug right after the meeting. Okay? Right up. How about the charismatic style? Come on. Praise, worship, healing, ministry. Two hands up. All right. Where's? Come on. Charismatic style. Hands up. I love that. Now, now. If, if you're not feeling well, ask these people to pray for you, okay? They're, they're the ones you want praying for you. Now, now, now did you notice we're all different? Uh, you down the front didn't see the hands, but every, how many, Sorry, how many did not lift their hand? Like you have all five in perfect balance, right, Scotty? <laughs> D- did you notice we were all different? There was not one star where everyone went this. We're actually all different. And it's okay. So, so identify your primary style. There's, there's probably some sub questions like, what's influenced that? What, what's your background? What kind of family, church did you grow up? Uh, asking why. But, but just at the surface level, just identify your primary way of connecting with God. Number two is to arrange your life around that style. Give yourself permission to lean into that way of connecting with God. If you're a contemplative, don't fill your week with meetings and appointments. Just, just don't do it. If you're a contemplative, carve out some, say, make an appointment with yourself. Three hours, what are you doing? Just being by myself. It's okay. If, if contemplation, if solitude, if a walk, if that makes you connect with God to a greater degree, why not just do more of that? Just, just go ahead. It, it's all right. If you're more the intellectual style, buy that extra book. Even if you haven't read the last 10 books that you bought. <laughs> Non-book addicts would not understand. But us book addicts understand. Buy that book. Go to that seminar. Go do that extra class. Lean into that. If you're the serving style, volunteer for two ministries. It's okay, isn't it, Sandra? You can serve. See how quickly she responded. Volunteer, serve, use those gifts. If you're the relational style, join two connect groups as long as they don't meet at the same time. What am I saying? Lean that way. If you're the charismatic style, man, be at every prayer meeting. Get that worship CD. Have one for the kitchen, one for the living room, one for the bathroom. Have it everywhere. I know we don't have CDs anymore, do we? So last century. What I'm saying is if that's your style, why not arrange your life around that? If you're saying to yourself, when I do these things, I feel closer to God, then why not do more of those things? It's not rocket science. Just give yourself permission to do so. It's okay. I tell you, this is one of the most freeing things you can hear. Just release the guilt of trying to be someone that you're not and just be who you are. The way God has designed you. Be free to do that. Uh, Number three kind of builds on that. Accept others who may be different. I had a woman come up after I taught this at one church. And she says, oh, that was so helpful. I'm a charismatic style, And my husband's a contemplative. And all he does is sit there. And I realize, that's okay. And I says, you got it. You got it. Because she thought just because he's sitting there that nothing's happening. Now, maybe nothing's happening. <laughs> That's what you were thinking, weren't you? you? know. Except others who were different. How many know different is not wrong? Yeah. Different is not wrong. And you may be married to different. <laughs> you are married to different. <laughs> or you may have a best friend or a, or a housemate or someone on your serving team who's different. Give them permission to be who they are. And don't project on them, well, this is what I do and you should do this too. Well, who says? Give other people the freedom to be who they are. Now, some of you will be glad I'm going to share the next point. Number four, building on one, two, three, let me also say, let's learn other ways of connecting with God. How many know Jesus had all five of these in perfect balance? Did you know Jesus was a contemplative? Sometimes we think Jesus is this 24-7 ministry machine, going, preaching, healing, casting out demons, boom, 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 boom. If you just go back to your Gospels and read the narrative between all the miracles and the meetings, you'll find little phrases like this. After Jesus dismissed the crowd he went up on a mountaintop where he was alone and spent the night you know there's a time to dismiss the crowd okay folks good night bye not now not now (laughs) what's he doing he's drawing some boundaries he's saying the meeting's done and he you know you know what he loved he loved the mountaintop and he loved the water in fact, I'd suggest that was his home base, up on the mountain where you kind of get above everything and you get some perspective, out on the water. There's actually whole scientific studies been done on the effect of water on us physiologically and emotionally. He loved the mountain, the water. I reckon that was his home base and he came out from there to minister and then he went back to his home base. Jesus was a contemplator. Jesus was also pretty intellectual. In fact, he was the word in human form. <laughs> I mean, he, 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 he could mess with your mind. He was the word. Jesus was a servant. He took the towel up and washed people's feet. So if you want to be great, be a servant. Jesus was relational. The first thing he did when he arrived was he picked 12 people to be with him. He did life in community. And how many know Jesus was kind of charismatic? <laughs> he was like full of the Spirit. So Jesus did all five. And so, although I'm saying find your primary style, arrange your life around it, lean into it, I'm saying also add the balance of developing some other styles you may not be that comfortable with. See, each of these styles pushed to an extreme have a weakness. If all you do is contemplate, you'll end up in a monastery. You know where monasteries came from? People that just wanted to say goodbye to the big bad world and just contemplate. Contemplatives, hey, lean into it. But you can't escape from the world. You've got to do life in community. You've got to serve. Intellectuals, God bless intellectuals. But let me tell you, there's some things about God you'll never figure out with your mind. There's a mystery to God. There's an unknowableness to God. And people with the intellectual style need to realize that sometimes God doesn't move in ways that we understand. And so opening up to the spirit and the feeling and the more subjective side of our faith is important. Uh, Serving's great too, but if you're not careful, you'll be serving, serving, serving like Martha. Serving, doing the work of the Lord that you can neglect the Lord of the work. And end up anxious and stressed, saving the world for God. Martha's need to learn to be Mary's. Relational style is good, but sometimes we can become codependent on other people. People aren't always around. And the charismatic style, I love it. It's fantastic. But you know what? Sometimes you get up in the morning and you feel nothing. And if you build your life on feelings, you will have a yo-yo Christian faith. You've got to build your life on truth because whether you feel anything in the morning or not, the truth is God is with you. And you're... Faith is not built on the subjective goosebumps and feelings which come and go. It's built on something much more reliable than just a feeling. And so lean into your style, but develop other ways of connecting with God. Number five, I normally teach this to pastors, but it's a good reflection to consider the implications for church life. Some churches end up Developing a culture that's a reflection of the abiding style of its leader. One of the things I love about Bayside is the, the balance and the diversity that's in this community. If a community is all contemplative, well, they, they never turn up anyway. <laughs> They're all out. you know. If a church is led by an intellectual and everyone there is intellectual, then every meeting has handout notes with fill-in-the-blanks. It's all teaching, 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 teaching. Uh, if a church is just the serving style, then it's, that's changed the world. And there's a lot of activity and also a lot of burnout on the other side of the contemporary machine that can kind of spit people out. Uh, if its church is just the relational style, well, it's potlucks, yum cha, if you've got lots of Asians, you know, just a lot of food and fun and fellowship. Yeah? If your church is led by the charismatic style, it's just clear the chairs and let's pray for people every meeting. And that's all we do. Now, I'm not mocking any one of them, but if you have a church with only one style, then that's the only group of people you'll attract. You'll end up with a bit of an imbalanced expression of spirituality. And so I think it's actually really good to build a community where these and other styles are all celebrated and appreciated. Same in your connect group, same in your ministry team. We actually need all the parts of the body working together and celebrating these different ways of connecting with God. So Jesus gives his disciples a command. I'm about to leave. I command you. I urge you keep connected to me. Actually the the English is plural. It's not individual. You as a community keep connected to me. You as a group of disciples. I focus very much on individual individual spirituality in my talk tonight, but it's really about us doing this all together. How can we, as a group, as a community, keep connected with Jesus and encourage each other to do so? If we will do so, if we will connect, if we'll abide, if we'll remain in Jesus, then his life will flow to us and through us, and we will live incredibly fruitful lives. Everyone said amen. amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more information, visit markconnor.com.au.